So we're doing something a little different because we, we had one week there that interrupted our John series. We brought the board members up here, Kristen and I came up here, and it was kind of a, uh, a commemorating, a celebration Sunday, and which, is, which is good to do. But then I left, and then we went right to John 11, and now we're going to jump back to John chapter 10. So I'm just going to build a few bridges here just so that hopefully we can still track in a linear way through John. Sounds good? Okay, so the last bit of John chapter 8, the entirety of John chapter 9, and a pretty solid portion of John chapter 10, it's actually one event. It's one conversation. It's one group of people. It it just goes, it follows straight through, okay? And then John chapter 11 um, is, is a different event. And I love one thing that uh, Darcy said last week, and he said that Jesus didn't have like a healing ministry and a, a ministry of miracles. He did lots and lots and lots of them, so many that we can't record, but that wasn't the purpose for why he came. And he said that every time he did something, it pointed towards something else, right? And so I remember that because in John chapter 9, or, or John chapter 8, there was the blind man that Jesus healed. You guys remember that at all? James' sermon said, what are your blind spots? So John chapter 8, Jesus healed the blind man, which is a setting up a theme for what is going to happen in, in going into John chapter 9 and 10. So, um, like I said, it's all the same people, it's the same time frame, and uh, Jesus is talking about how, in John chapter 8, how sin enslaves us, right? Sin binds us, and he He turns his attention to those that believed in him. Because remember in the crowd there was people that did and people that didn't believe him. Right? Like if you get any crowds of people, there's going to be differing opinions everywhere. So for a moment, he turns his attention to those that believe him. He says um, that if, talks about how he can free them from sin. Sin will keep you free, but if, if all who come to Jesus are free, and I'll make you free indeed. And after that, he turns back to those um, who, who didn't believe, and he says, he makes, starts making a distinction, just a distinction. This is in John 8, 38. He says, I speak from what I have seen from my Father, and you do what you have heard from yours. Right? He's starting to draw parallels between sight, seeing, and hearing. Remember, Jesus is spending a lot of time here um, proving to people that he is, in fact, God come down. And he's making a distinction between his father and those who were among the crowd that didn't believe, saying, we don't come from the same place. We don't have the same father. And, and you can tell that they're offended because they say, our father is Abraham. Like, how dare you say that you come from God we don't come from God. Our father's Abraham. Now, if you don't know much about Abraham and who he was in the Bible, he was sort of like the father of all of the Israelites, right? God called him out of a pagan nation, and he, um, you know, he went out and God greatly multiplied his wealth and his um, position and all that stuff. And then, remember, he asked him to his greatest possession, his son. He asked him to sacrifice it, but then he didn't actually go through with it because God never wanted that. But he, they're saying Abraham was righteous before God. No matter what was going on in Abraham, everybody knew that Abraham and God's relationship was 
good and solid and connected. And they're saying, that's where we come from. This is, this is the people that Jesus is talking to. So you don't have a different father than us. We come from Abraham. We are righteous. They're really bolstering themselves up. Our father is Abraham. And then Jesus, um, being ever so sensitive not to hurt feelings, right? He says, your father is the devil. He says, he was a murderer and so are you. Oh, so sensitive. He says, Abraham's father was God. And then uh, in, in John chapter 8, verse 47, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Again, he's beginning to set something up, which he's going to finish in John chapter 10. He says, uh, if you skip down to John chapter 8, verse 56, he says, if Abraham was your father, um, if Abraham was your father, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, right? He says, if Abraham was your father, you would feel about me like he does. Abraham rejoiced that he would see God come down and, and rescue uh, the, the world, Right, and, and then, and then he, he says something that's really going to tick them off. He says, in fact, he did see it, and he was glad about it. And so you start to get a picture of, of Jesus before coming down in, uh, to earth. He was in heaven, and Abraham was there, and Abraham saw it and rejoiced. And now he's coming down, and he's saying, this is what happened to, to them. And they were mad. They hated that. That's blasphemy to them. They're, 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 he might as well be the Antichrist to them, is what they thought. And at the end of John chapter 8, again, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And you guys remember the other time we've seen that I am statement in the Bible, when Moses is at the burning bush and he's being sent out to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. He, got, he says, who should I say sent me? And, and God just says, just tell them. I am. This I am statement is no small statement when it comes to scripture. God calls himself I am. Tell them I am. Before Abraham was, I am. This, they, they were so mad. It says that they picked up stones. This is the end of chapter 8. I'm preaching on John 10. We'll get there. It says that at the end of chapter 8, they picked stones to try to kill him. Right then and there. They're just going to kill him. Like, they're, ah, they're so enraged. And they just wanted, they wanted him dead. And, and it just says he left. They did that a bunch of times. There was another time in the Bible where they're trying to throw him off a cliff. And it says he just passed through them. That was a miracle in itself. He just, boop, he was gone. They couldn't see him anymore. On his way out, after he had gone out of their sight, on his way out, he sees a man born blind. He spits in the mud, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and the guy is healed. And what happens to the guy after he's healed? He's like, some dude named Jesus just healed me. And they're like, Jesus, this is, we don't like Jesus. They bring him into the synagogue, and, and which is like their church and, and their, you know, their temple. They bring him in, and then they question him. You guys remember the sermon here? And, uh, and they ended up kicking him out because he wouldn't refute the fact that it was Jesus that saved him. He believed, in fact, and it sort of seems like the Holy Spirit, you know, empowered him to start teaching the Pharisees. And that ticked them off, too. And so they kicked him out of the synagogue. Now, that's not like if we, we have, we have in the past 
have had to remove people from this congregation. We've had to remove people from church. And let me tell you what, it's not an easy thing to do, right? We don't just do it willy-nilly. Like, you really have to try hard to get it done. And, uh, and so, but, it, but even then, it's not like it was today. If, if you get yourself on the ban list from New Life, again, which is not hard to do, but not easy to do. It's not easy to do. <laughs> it is hard to do. We've got a lot, of, a lot of grace and a lot of love for everybody. It's very hard to do. Um, that's it. You can go out and you can you go out the you know you go back to work. You go throughout the rest of your life, all of that. Back then, if you got removed from the synagogue, it's like you got removed from Christianity. You know what I'm saying? Like you weren't you wouldn't be able to socialize with anybody. You wouldn't be able to do business. It was a whole life, like being cast into a new life where nobody would talk to you. Nobody would do business with you, trade with you, all of that stuff. This guy got removed from the synagogue. Believing in Jesus cost him a lot. It cost him a lot. And then Jesus finds him in in John uh, chapter 9, verses 38. And in front of those who rejected him, he said, Lord, I believe in you. And he worshipped him in person, right there, right then, around the people that had thrown him out of the synagogue. Right? Eight, nine, and ten. It's all one event. Same people. Same everything. John chapter 9, verses 39. Jesus is feeling pretty excited about this. I believe that this person is willing to give his whole life to follow Jesus. He sees that person, not just in that moment, but he sees them with him forever in eternity. And he's pumped up. And he says, for judgment in 939, I came into this world that those who do, know, who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Right? I, ha- I do what I have seen from my father. You do what you hear from yours. And, uh, and he's making a distinction here between those who see and those who don't see. There's a theme there, those who believe and those who don't believe. And then after that, um, that's the end of 39, he goes into not really, um, it's an illustration. It's not really a parable. And he goes into this illustration that at first nobody understands. And I'm sure that as you've read the Bible, you've probably gone through this and you're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't understand. Because that's what I went through when I prepared this sermon. So, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for, do, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. I'm just going to pause right there real quick. You, the setting that they were in was somewhere, it was by the sheep gate. So it was just, in the, in the whole town, there was a gate called the sheep gate. And, and Jesus is using kind of what he has around him to illustrate something that he's trying to do. I don't want us to forget the setting that he's in, right? The Pharisees just tried to kill him. 
and he just healed this man that was born blind that believed. There's a stark difference between these two camps of people. They're all peppered in right there. And he's trying to prove to them that he is, in fact, God. Okay, verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door um, of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Quick pause there. You guys feel like that's a little bit what's going on this morning. I'm not going to lie to you. I came in today I'm feeling off, a little discouraged. Steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus came to, have, to give you life and give it abundantly. And you've you, you got to have felt that a little bit during worship there. When God was ushering, when God, Josh, when Josh was, and the team were ushering us in, right, worship ushers us in into the presence of God. You remember in the Old Testament when they used to go to war, who did they send first? The Levites, the worshipers, right? When they defeated Jericho, all they did was worship, nothing else. And, and so God came that we may have life to the fullest. And I, and I think that that's going on this morning. I came that they may have life to the fullest. Um... Where was I? Yeah, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. um, Oh, I lost my place. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. There it is again. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life... um, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why should we listen to him? And, uh, and others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind. So there's a few characters that we need to we need to look at here. There's the sheepfold, the shepherd, the door, the hired hand, and the robber. And don't worry, I'm not making a point out of each one of these. Okay. So at first, first there's the sheepfold. If you don't know what a sheepfold is, that's totally normal because we live in the 21st century, right? A sheepfold was a place. It was like a pen. Sometimes they were right beside somebody's house, or sometimes there would be one in the middle of your community, right? Like all of Robson would have a pen, right? All of Udashenya would have a sheepfold. And basically what those were is at the end of um, the shepherding day, 
the shepherds would bring their sheep into this, um, this pen where they would stay while the shepherd would go away to rest, right, and recover because um, shepherding, you had long work days if you, were, if you were a shepherd. And at this pen, at this fold, typically there was a hired hand, somebody who would guard the, the main door of the, of the fold um, to ensure, first of all, he's guarding all of the sheep, right, and to ensure that the wrong person didn't come in and, and steal, a, steal a sheep or something like that. And, um, and in, the, in the beginning of the illustration that Jesus is talking about, he says, who, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Well, if you're at your home and someone's coming in through the window, what's happening? You're going to get robbed, right? We, when Kristen and I were staying um, at Canard Park Church when we were first married, they, we lived in a classroom up there. And uh, we were just hanging out one night, and we heard, like, see if I could do it, like, weird noises like that. And somebody was trying to break into the kitchen through the window. They weren't coming in through the main door. We were about to get robbed. So we called the cops, and they came, and it was all good. But he who doesn't enter by the, the, the main door, but by another way climbs in is a thief and a robber. And Jesus said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. What he's saying is I am the only one that has the authority to come in through that main door. And he goes into a bit about shepherding, right? He introduces this idea of shepherding, and he's building up an illustration, and he's really going to hammer it home and offend some people in a second, but also love on some other people. He can do two things at once. Jesus begins to introduce this idea of shepherding. Um, it's not a new idea to the Bible, and it was very ingrained in that culture, Right in the morning, um, before the well, when they would let the sheep in, right, the shepherd would stand at the door and he would hold his rod out, and he would put this rod in front of the sheep and he would inspect it for disease, and then he would let the rod up and the sheep could go through, and then he would go one at a time just to make sure that there wasn't some little sheepy epidemic in there, and then they would all get sick, right, so that they would be able to pass through and they were allowed in. In the morning, he would come and he would grab a sheep and bring him out to pasture. Um, and uh, and he, he starts painting a picture between good and bad shepherds, in a sense. Because everybody knew what a good shepherd looked like, and everybody knew what a bad shepherd looked like. In shepherding, uh, you had to have constant vigilance, patience, courage. You were to ward off danger. You have that responsibility on you to ward off danger, to protect your flock. You had to love your flock. And even some would lay down their lives for their flock. Now, there were good and bad shepherds, right? But he, here's some of the qualities of the shepherding. Patience. You're, you can't just sit around and say that you're patient. You have to have opportunities to be impatient and then choose not to be impatient, to know if you're patient. The same thing with courageous, right? If you want to be courageous, you can't just sit around and say, I'm super courageous and think up of all these hypothetical things where you could be courageous. You have to be afraid and you have to face your fears and not let them get you down. Then you are courageous. Shepherds, good shepherds had to be all of these things. And there were good and bad shepherds. In fact, in order to prove you were a good shepherd, if you came back, if you came back and you were missing a sheep, 
right? Like you went out with 20 sheep, you're coming back with 19. You had to account for what happened to that sheep. And if that sheep had been snatched up by one of the beasts, you know, a bear, a lion, a wolf, or whatever, you had to come back with a piece of that sheep to prove that you had effort in rescuing that sheep, right? Because you were a bad shepherd if somebody came, snatched your sheep, and you're like, well, there goes another one. I'm not going to go after it. Right? You had to prove that you, you, had, you, you put effort in. And at times, shepherding would cost some their life. It wasn't just a job. The shepherding was a way of life. In, uh, in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35, we get a little sample of this. This is David talking to Saul. I said, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear um, and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Shepherding was very well understood and, and the imagery that Jesus is setting up is incredibly powerful. But here's the thing, that if the shepherd died, um, it was hopeless for the sheep. If the shepherd went after the one and died, which happened, it was hopeless for the sheep. They would be scattered and lost and shepherdless. I went, when we were at the, uh, the Thrive Conference there in Sacramento, um, we were listening to a guy named Mark Clark. He's speaking. And he says uh, something that kind of drove this home for me. He says, you know, he's, he's kind of an apologetics guy. And he said this. He's like, if they find the bones of Jesus, all of this is over. If they find the bones of Jesus, we were wrong. We got to move on. All of this is over. Right? If the shepherd dies, the sheep are scattered and lost. But thank goodness that's not our case. Because our shepherd is alive and well, and they haven't found his bones. And Jesus, he goes into, and this is when he starts driving it home here. I'm like, nine minutes? That sounds right. Okay, this is when he starts driving it home. Okay, he, he, he's had the, the scene set up, right, where he's, there's two camps. Those who believe and those who don't believe. The, the guy that was blind and worships Jesus no matter what the cost is to him. There's that camp. And then there's the Pharisees that, that wish to have Jesus killed and to, and to have him be no more. This is when he starts driving the point home. He says two I am statements. The first one is, I am the door. Right? He's still talking about the sheepfold. He says, I am the door. In other places in the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here he's saying, I am the only way. There's plenty of ways to get to Jesus, but there's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through Jesus. I am the way. I am the one that has the authority. The, the gatekeeper opens only to me. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, right? I am the only way. And he says, uh, just in Ezekiel, and, and when these two I am statements are directly tied to something in Ezekiel. These, this, what he does is called the remez. So when, when Jesus would often say something, like for example when he says, I am the good shepherd, 
that's all we see. But they would have understood back then that he was making reference to something else in the Old Testament. And because they all walked around with it living in their heads, they were able to understand these things. Jesus says, I am the door. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 33 to 37, is God speaking. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. What does that mean? A capable hand. And he's initiating the relationship, an outstretched arm on his effort. I will, <laughs> outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. Where was God's wrath poured out? Where, where did God just take his wrath and just poured it out on Jesus? With his wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the people and, and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, um, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. What did Jesus just say before he, this happened? For judgment I came into this world. Face to face with the Israelites so that those who um, see may become blind and those who are blind would see. With judgment I will with you face to face. This is Ezekiel pointing to Jesus. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness, in the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you, listen to this, pass under the rod. And I will bring you into the bond of covenant. I am the door. I am the shepherd, Jesus is saying, that holds the rod. There is no way to get into this fold to the Father, to um, to heaven with, uh, except through Jesus. We are the sheep that will pass under his rod. He is the way. He's saying this, and the Pharisees would have understood that, and they would have been angered by him. Jesus is the only one who has the right to enter into the fold. Jesus has fulfilled the messianic prophecies, and he's demonstrated that he was God. I am the door. There's a second, and then he goes on into saying, I am the good shepherd. And this one's going to stick even harder than the last one did. Because at the same time, while telling the Israelites that they are lost and scattered sheep that he loves, he's telling the Pharisees something different. I am the good shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 1 to 10. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Who is that? It's Jesus. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, this is what the Lord says. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourself with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought out. The, this is all of these exact things that Jesus was doing in order to prove to them, 
in order to fulfill the messianic prophecies that he is God. The weak he has strengthened. If you're weak, God has strength for you. The sick he's healed. All the lepers, all the, all the healings that we see um, these days, even with the Tuesday morning prayer group, those guys they pray every Tuesday, there's a bunch of them. They pray for a lot of people with cancer, and let me tell you what, there are a lot of people that recover. It's quite interesting. The weak he has healed, or the, the sick he has healed, the injured he has brought up. Jesus did that. He healed injuries. The strays he has sought out. He has brought back. You remember that when Tim Hart was preaching, and that sermon he, he entitled, No Running on the Pool Deck, Right? And he's saying that Jesus healed the man that was, uh, what was that pool called? I can't remember right now. Bethsaida. The pool of Bethsaida, right? And he showed us geographically what it took for Jesus to get there. It was this incredible detour all the way to Bethsaida to do that. And then he just walked off and went right back up, right? All the way to Bethsaida. He said, the lost, it says, you have not sought out, but Jesus has sought out. And here it goes uh, again in, chapter, in verse 4. It says, and with force and harshness, you have ruled them. Force and harshness, the Israelite leaders, have ruled the Israelites. What does Jesus rule with? Grace and truth. Force and harshness, grace and truth. Verse 5. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek them out. Remember, this is Ezekiel prophesying about what Jesus is going to be doing. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing in the moment and in, in that's happening that we're in. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey. And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherd have not searched for my sheep, but, there, uh, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. God is saying, I appointed you to be a shepherd, but you were a beast. And I am going to come, and I am going to be the good shepherd and free them from you. I am going to go after them, and I will lay down my life for them because I am the good shepherd to free them from you. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth that they may not be food for them. Jesus painted the Pharisees as the bad shepherds. He says, I am the good shepherd. You are the bad shepherds. All of this is happening. The guy that was just, you know, just became healed from blindness, he's there. Everybody's there. At the same time, earlier on in, uh, in John 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd, uh, verse 14 to 16, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And here is something interesting. I have the sheep, um, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What is the fold that Jesus is referring to, right? He says that, you know, when he, earlier at the beginning <clears throat> of, of chapter 10, he says that the thieves come in and they, they rob the sheep. It's not a very comforting picture of heaven. I don't really think that that fold is what he was thinking of. Worship team, I'll call you back up. I think at the moment, in maybe a cultural way that we can't really understand today, maybe because of the harsh hearts of, of the Pharisees towards Jesus, he was still putting in an effort that they might turn to. He says in verse 16, other sheep that are not of this fold. Well, I believe that the fold that Jesus was speaking to at that time, he was calling them out of Judaism, calling them out of the way that things have been, calling them to stop being beasts and change and turn and be the shepherds that he called them to be in the beginning when he first commissioned that in the Old Testament. When he says not of this fold, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. The other sheep in the other fold were those that weren't in Israel. Those are the Gentiles. And he says that I'm bringing them all together under one shepherd, me, right? Some of the biggest issues that the Pharisees had with Jesus' disciples after he died and went to heaven is that they were ministering God to the Gentiles. When all, until that point, it had been something that was kept for them. What is God calling you out of? What fold is God calling you out of? Are we, what, what's keeping you blind from, from really coming to know him? Right? James was saying that when he first came up here before I did. Um, Josh was singing that song, what's holding you back? What are you waiting for? What fold is God calling you out of? Where is the blindness in our life? And, and I'm not just saying coming to Jesus for the first time, although yes, I am saying that. But also what further does he have planned in your life that we are choosing not to get called out of because we don't really know his voice anymore? My sheep know my voice and I know theirs. And I lay down my life for them. Jesus says after this, that's kind of when the event finishes. He says this, calls the Pharisees Bad shepherds. I'm sure they're offended. I don't think they try to kill him again that time. And uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're waiting. All right. I want to leave. You know. <laughs> uh, I'll settle down. Yeah, all right. Um, later on in, in John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was taught, uh, walking in the temple in the colonnades of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I imagine he's done way more than that at this point. 
tell us plainly, he healed a guy that was blind. He has told you directly in many different ways that he is Jesus, but yet they refused to listen to him. I don't know what expectation they had in their head, but I know that they were pushing their agenda on Jesus. Tell us in the way that I want to hear you say it, where this should have been the other way around. I am here. My eyes are open. My ears are open. My heart is open. Show me that you are who you are. But don't push your agenda on Jesus because his is better than yours anyway. Tell us plainly, they say, verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, but you did not believe. I guarantee you, in my life, there have been many times where I've been asking for Jesus for stuff or been, and heal me from this, deliver me from that. But I wanted it done in the way that I wanted it done. And he said, I've told you. God's promises are yes and amen, right? I've told you, but you didn't believe. The work that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's a day coming where the thieves and the robbers are no longer present. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand and I and the Father are one. That sounds like a promise to me. Thank you.